Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Would you guys just give a real warm welcome to Pastor Anthony as he comes to share with us? Oh no, that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Hello everyone. Who can tell me how old this building is? Does anyone know? There's probably a plaque somewhere. We've not read it, right? A couple hundred years, maybe? Something like that? Anyone know? So we're going to guess a couple... We're going to guess a couple hundred years, yeah? Here's the point. Could you imagine? Let's just say it was 200 years ago. 200 years ago, there was a man who was commissioned. He was given this opportunity by a church and said, we need you to build a building. We want it to be glorious. We want it to be the kind of building that when someone walks into it, they, they feel the presence of God. That a sinner can come in and find hope. That the struggling could come in and find strength. That the marriage that's completely fallen apart could find hope and, and, and restoration. And somebody drew up plans. And they drew up plans a couple hundred years ago, I mean, and then they drew up plans and they thought, okay, which way does the sun rise? Okay, let's make these colors as it comes through with those windows and those roses and let's make the roof as if it were reaching to heaven and we'll create these flying buttresses and let's play, create places for choirs where choirs could sing. And, and, and they had no idea. They had no idea that a couple hundred years later you would be sitting in this building being so thankful to sit in that chair. I had no idea. Somewhere down the line, somebody planted it hoping that someone would come into this building, hoping that someone would come in and sing praises, and they built places for it. They left room because they were hoping someone would fill these chairs, hoping that someone could come in and and, and actually do more than maybe intellectually ascribe to the fact that there is a God, but encounter that God who wants a relationship with mankind. I guarantee you, if there were anyone like me, they were praying that the guy who stood up here and spoke was full of God's Holy Spirit, full of love for the flock, and an absolute passion to see him proclaimed properly. I'm so pleased to be here with you, in a place where all of a sudden, this gets realized. Could you have imagined 10 years ago, Sitting together, some of you, you remember those days, and it was the school days, and everything was setting up and tearing down. That wasn't that long ago, was it? The drummers, oh goodness sakes, that's the worst, right? That's when you say, why couldn't I have played the little kazoo or something? There's all that to set up and tear down, and the PAs and the chairs, and you thought, maybe we'll wind up in a building like this? Isn't this crazy? The real question we want to ask ourselves, though, is, well, what does God want to do here? 
Because now all of a sudden something really strange happens. And I've, and I've got to tell you, and, and I want to go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to read some text, and we're going to have a Bible study. Because you don't need to hear me rant all the time. But I do want to say this. That something happens when you find a building where all of a sudden you're going to be challenged now to be comfortable. And in this entire world, everything outside of Jesus says, work really hard so you can get yourself comfortable so you never have to not be comfortable again. You can get old and fat and know where your remote is and get, maybe you can put your refrigerator close enough and maybe if, if your toilet can be two steps away and nothing's more than four steps away and you can call in your groceries and have them delivered so you never have to leave your chair and you go, oh, I've made it. Ah. And you die and then when you die they look and they go, so what part was him and what part was the couch? Because it's all kind of the same now. And, and we laugh because we know there's a bit of truth behind that. And, and, but then there's something about being a Christian. Well, I tell you what, if that was where I was as a Christian, I would never have made it to London. Because I had gotten really comfortable. And there was somewhere down the line, I, I couldn't smell gunpowder on my hands anymore. Right? And we had gotten to the place where God had granted us a building. Now granted, it wasn't as magnificent as this. But it was a building nonetheless. And after 14 years of setting up and tearing down, and, and for us, we were at four services, it was crazy, and it's four in the morning, and you're going to sleep at two the next morning, and you just, and it's fun, and you, you just realize, I hope I die on a day like this. So the next guy says, we're not doing four services like this anymore. And, and you look and you go, but then all of a sudden it's, oh, this is easy now. And what about you and your faith? Remember that time when reading was a little bit more difficult? And you were like, saying the name Gideon was a little difficult. And you just prayed. If you were ever in one of those prayer groups where everyone read around with their Bible, you would just pray, oh, please don't let a name fall on me. Right, you know? And now you're like, oh, you know, like, oh, yeah. And then people are like, oh, and you wouldn't say it like you know what you're saying. And, you know, oh, that's just Gideon. Remember that? Oh, that fleece, it's wet and it's dry. Oh, yeah, it's just Gideon now. It's just Gideon. I'm comfortable with Gideon now. But remember when he was just this big chicken that God still used and you thought, I'm kind of afraid. Maybe God could use me too. How comfortable we can become. But listen, God puts you in a sanctuary. A sanctuary. And you go, wow, look at where we are now. We're safe. We're comfortable. Well, what in the world does he want to do here? Can I challenge you with three basic things? All right, well, first of all, let me challenge you. Get out your Bibles, and we're going to open them up. Or maybe, if you're anything like our church, open up in your apps to the Bible. It gets dangerous because, you know, you don't know whether somebody's actually reading the Bible or texting God or they're, you know, setting their time stamp and saying, I don't know, this might be the longest message in history. Now look, at, for, by the way, for those of you who are like, this guy's been up all day and all night and blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, you've been in your chairs all day. <laughs> I think that you guys are the ones to be commended. I could do this all day and I would, I would absolutely not have any regrets for it. We're going to go to two different scriptures. They're both in the book of Psalms. I want you to go first to the Psalm 133. It's not a very long psalm. Not that that sounds like I have to apologize for it. The longer, the better, in my opinion. And you're like, well, yeah, you're a pastor. The longer the better. And why don't you stand with me for a moment? I mean, some of you, 
That'll be the first time blood has actually gone to your rear end in quite a while, so. And I want you guys to be fit when we come out of here. I'd like you to say this with me. Ready? Hinematov. Try that. That wasn't so bad. Now look, it's Hebrew, so you can't say like this. You can't do that. I mean, they, when you ever, they don't call it like the kind of whining wall. They call it the wailing wall for a reason. Everything's big, right? Hinematov. Now there's one of me. There's a lot more of you. Hinematov. Much better. Thank you. Umanaim. Shevet Achim. Gomyachad. God bless you. Hinematov umanaim shevet Achim gomyachad. Behold. Now behold means stop everything. Stop everything. Don't text in your mind. Don't be doing your, your, your taxes in your head. Stop thinking about whether or not you're ever going to eat another meal before you leave this building. Stop thinking about whether the person next to you smells good or bad or whether you might smell good or bad. Look at Stop everything. That's the idea of behold. And if you for a moment, if you for a moment just took that word and then took every time God said behold, your whole life would change, by the way, right away. I've learned this in time that if you love someone, you don't multitask in front of them. Someone says, hey, I got, I got something I want to share with you. And, and you're like, oh, really? Cool. What's going on? And you're like, uh, tell me. Okay. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. What, the, oh, no, yeah. what was that again? You're about to kill yourself. Oh, hold on a second. Yeah, what's that? Oh, yeah. Right. And, and God's like, and you know the problem is, is that then God says, hey, can we talk for a second? And you're like, shit, that would be really good, God. Hold on. Let me pull off one of the earphones while the other one's still playing. And you're like, God, can you speak louder than that? I'm sorry. What was that again? And then you're like, I'm not really sure if I heard God. You know, it's like, look, when God has to scream, it could get ugly. And he, you know, he could. He could, he, you know. All of a sudden you're like, wow, my iPhone just died. <laughs> God's like, I had to do that to hear, for you to hear me? What if God actually went right through the headphones? Hello, hello. <laughs> now look at it. Behold. Look around for a second. Seriously, look around for a moment. Look who's here. Is this not the greatest collection of God's restoration work? No, no, the problem with something like this is we look and go, oh yeah, intellectually, all right, oh, good, oh, good, we shouldn't fight with each other, yeah. You know, and that girl, she should stop talking bad about her, her husband. And that, oh, and no more gossip, you're right. Or, God says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, how about the good side of that? What would it be like if we actually looked at, what if we showed up at church for a second and looked and went, oh, wouldn't it be, wow, this is cool. Not just the building, wow, this is really a cool building, but... We're living stones. The cool building is you guys. And whether you guys actually met at a petrol station or something as glorious as this, the bottom line is what's supposed to be good is you guys. And if we looked around and said, oh, this is good and this is pleasant. Good, by the way, is the idea of something constructive. That's the whole idea. It's not just good like, well, it's not bad. Good means something good is going to come out of this. Tov. When God created everything, he looked and he said, Tov, good. That's the same word. And God looks and he looks at this. God looks at this. This is God's appraisal. And he looks and he goes, oh, this is not just good. This is good. How good and how pleasant it is. Pleasant's the idea now. Something that actually brings you pleasure. By the way, for what it's worth, the root word's the same we would get with the word 
Eden, Geden. The word Eden, by the way, means pleasure. Okay, behold how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. It's like two things. Look at what he says. He says, it is like the precious oil upon the beard. Oh, I'm sorry. Precious oil upon the beard running down, but precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Running down on the edge of his garments, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded blessing, life forevermore. This is our first of our two texts. I'm going to use two examples here for a moment, if I could. Where are a couple of my pastors? Patrick, can I call you up for a second? Don't you don't have to do anything horribly embarrassing. Where is it? Give me another one. Where? Come on, Ephraim, can I call you up for a second? Now, it looks like, just from the looks of the two of you, you're going to have to be Aron. You know why? Aron. Because you have a beard, that's why. All right? And you're the taller one, so you get to be Mount Hermon. You get to be a mountain. How's that? Right? Yeah. I've been called a mountain. Have you really? Awesome. Well, guess what I just said by calling him over? I just moved a mountain. Awesome. I got faith. All right. Now, look it. Now, there's a situation being used in the first one. It's like the oil poured upon the head. Oh, no, I won't do that, by the way. That's all right. It stains, strangely enough. You know? All right. Um, it pour, when it says, and it runs down, and it says it runs off of the beard and off of the hem of his, <laughs> and off of the hem of his garment. Now, how much, do you think that when they, anointed, when they anointed Aaron, that they went and kind of went... There's no way oil could run off of the head, off of the beard, off of the hem of the garment. Are you with me on this? Now, according to what we read, by the way, this was the time God put on these clothes specifically for what's called the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, which happened to be Moses' brother, Aaron, which, by the way, means he brings light, light bearer. And it says that when they did this, it was in the noonday sun, and they're pouring this oil on him to separate him from everyone else. Now, let's face it. He is wearing a lot of really nice clothes. Nobody else has the clothes. He's got this breastplate. He's got these, 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 the finest of clothes, which, by the way, God says were for his beautification and for his sanctification. It set him apart and it made him look good. God knows how to clothe his people, which, by the way, in the New Testament, he clothes us with the one thing that looks better than anything else, Christ. And then he says, and you know what completes the ensemble? Love. So he said, he says, that was the one thing that, and we've got people who are big on fashion, it's like, they're like, that just holds the whole thing together, just like that. All right, now, get the idea of this, get the idea of this. And this is what God, no, he says, no, so we're brought back to this scene. It's the desert. It's noon. It's hot. It's sunny. And here we are, and they're pouring oil on his head. Now, we're not just talking about a little bit of oil. We're talking about the kind of oil that covers him, dripping off his beard, dripping off the hem of his garment. And what makes Aaron different at that moment than everyone else? Not that he's wet. We're all wet. We're sweating. But he's covered in oil. What happens in the noonday sun is Aaron begins to shine. And as he begins to shine, people go, that man's got a calling on his life, and that's pretty evident. Well, which one? Can you imagine somebody shows up late? Not that that ever happens at your church, right? Someone shows up late, and they're like, hey, so which one's Aaron? Which one's the high priest? And they go, look for the shiny guy. The guy has a glow. Oh, yeah, I guess you can find him, can't you? No, no. God says this is supposed to be like this. That's the idea. But it's more than that. He's also chamon. Do you know to this day, 70% of the drinking water in Israel is the Sea of Galilee. 
And by the way, for anyone who has a problem talking about the Trinity to a person who is Jewish that lives in Israel, it's the easiest thing ever. Because the Sea of Galilee is fed by three water sources. But those three water sources all meet at the one place where they all drink. It's kind of a nice thought, isn't it? Now, of those, those three sources, by the way, and we'll go like this. And when I do this in Israel, it'll please you to know that I usually cover a person in shaving cream and then pour water on them, but I won't do that with you either. Thank you. So, you're welcome. <laughs> now listen, is that we've got this thing called the Chazbani, which is one of the streams. By the way, it's the one that they're trying to cut off in Lebanon, and you can see why the Israelis are real upset about that. That's a third of their drinking water source. And they're like, well, it's ours. It runs through our area. And they're like, but we still drink it too. Okay. And then over here, by the way, the area of Caesarea Philippi, there's a natural spring that comes up. That's where Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Where Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's this one. But the biggest water supply is the mountain. And the mountain in between is the mountain, Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon. Now from the top of that is snow. And what we read is that it comes and it descends Upon Jerusalem, Zion, Mount Zion. In other words, the water source, though God could have pulled it from the Mediterranean, because basically all of Israel is the med, the dead, and the red. But he could have pulled it from the Mediterranean and just dropped, dropped it over here. What he doesn't, says he lifts it up, puts it on Mahimon, and we know how much water we're going to get, because all we have to do is look at the tallest place we can find and go, look how wide it is up there. This is going to be a good year. God actually lets us know in advance to some degree how good it's going to be. And when we look at it, we think, that's life. That's what that is. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what God says. He goes, because in there he promised, look at the last verse of Psalm 133. It says, what did he promise as a result of that? Life forevermore. So wait a minute. The whole idea of this thing here that brings refreshment, that brings encouragement, that brings life, that brings life. God says, that's supposed to be this. Are you with me on the sofa? Because we're two out of three. Have a seat. Thank you so much. Thank bro. you very much. Thank you so much. Okay, let's go to the other one. Psalm 73. And then we'll put the whole thing together. In Psalm 73, we have a different psalmist. The first time we had David. This time we have a guy named Asaph. Asaph, by the way, will actually produce 12 psalms. The first of them will actually be earlier in the 50s. And then we'll have from 72, 73 all the way to 82. Those will all be Psalms of Asaph as well. So the, the guy actually has a few hits. Now think about it. This is sort of like God's Billboard Top 20 or Top 150, we should say. I mean, if you had one song in here, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, the bestseller of all eternity. And this guy writes a song. And this particular song says, I almost. And when you read it, you're like, I'm not too sure about almost. Read it with me here. Verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, such who are pure at heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they, are, they have no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're, they have no trouble like other men. Nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves them like a necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. And their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues walk through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and the waters of, the <clears throat> of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, oh, how does God know? Is their knowledge of the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly. Yeah, they're always in ease. They, they increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. 
I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. And I said, if I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God and I understood their end. Please be seated. Oh God, please, as we continue in this, please speak by the power of your Holy Spirit to every one of us in a way that we need to hear today. God, we recognize that though we are sitting in something, this is supposed to be the prototype of us as people. And everything we want this building to to contain, everything we want to happen in this building, everything we want to happen to emanate from this building, let it be so in us. Because clearly, God, what makes this building different is your presence. We recognize there are buildings bigger than this, with bigger windows, that are taller and even seemingly more magnificent, that are flats. Some of them are even crack flats right now. Clearly, that's not glorious. But this one is going to be because you are here. And you're not here just because someone put your name on the mailbox. You're here because we are here and you live in us. And when two or more are gathered together, there you are in our midst. Oh God, please, right now, minister, I pray, perform the therapy you intend on each one of us individually. Encourage profoundly, I pray, in your name. Amen. Don't just believe me because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Now listen, in three different cases, there's something that happens in a sanctuary. People are assembling together. In the first case, what we saw was like oil running down and dripping from the beard, separating and showing a calling, uniquely, divinely, where Aaron didn't have to do anything but be still and receive. Aaron couldn't have, I mean, can you imagine if God said, I want you to keep going like this until oil comes out of your sweat glands. That would have been rough. But he said, you know what he said, just, just Aaron, all you need to do is stand still. I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the anointing. Stand still, let me clothe you. We'll even read that his brother clothes him. It's a little awkward, but hey, it's a good point. And the second we have this situation of this dew of chemon, the idea of producing and bringing life. Life, without it, everybody's dead. Nobody escapes it. If we don't have water, nobody lives. There's not one person on the planet that says, I figured how to live without water. Doesn't work. Everybody, everybody's dead. In the third case, there is a person who says he almost struggled. And what he was, basically, he just started looking at the world and he says, Oh, come on! The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, the fat get fatter, the oppressed get more oppressed. He got to the point where he's like, You know what? This is stupid. What am I doing? I've been working really hard here. I'm trying to do this right. And as I'm trying to, you know what? All of this was for what? For nothing. He's like, I almost stumbled. Don't you think he gave himself a little bit of credit? Almost stumble? I'd hate to see what stumbling looks like if that's almost stumbled. And he got to the point where he's like, I am sick of this. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. How much time do I have to do this? Is something going to change? How long do I have to wait for this? 
I mean, that guy's wicked, and look at what he's getting. He's got, you know what, and, and I just, I have this guy, and he's nasty, and he's horrible, and he kicks puppies, and he won the lottery yesterday. How did that happen? Where's the justice in that? And there's those guys, and they drill their teeth. They put some nice little diamonds in there, and then they shoot each other, and they come, and they step out of a Hummer, and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I could find a smart car right now. They got like a stretch, everything, you know? They're like, they can't make a turn on half of the streets here. Someone has, they have to hire people to pick it up and turn it. I'm like, I don't even know if I could get a Barclays bike for a day. Come on, what's up with that? And he says, you know what, if that's all I've got, life stinks. Somewhere down the line, someone needs, an, someone needs change. Here's the problem. I turned on TV and I looked at Oprah, it didn't help. Right? I called Dial a Friend. Only two pounds a minute. They're my good friend. And they were like, they said, I'll talk with you all day. So sweet. No help. No help. I went to one of those I feel depressed support groups. I left there saying, I need a I need I'm depressed because of my depressed support group group didn't help me at all and then someone walks into a building like this and everything changes everything because you see the problem wasn't the world the problem was where you were looking and there's no place no place but here where you're going to see that it's going to take Christians now listen let me put this in an order that might make sense Let's start with Hermon for a moment. God intended this to be a Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is where life comes from. Without it, no one is alive. I'll tell you what God intended this place to be. This is supposed to be the place where the gospel's preached. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. And anyone, God means anyone. It really doesn't matter. He never says any, anything else is the power of salvation but that. There's only one name. There's only one cure. Because the bottom line is there's only one problem. We're guilty. Whether you like it or not, you're defective. So am I. And even though we might look di- different in the way we act out our defects, we're all defective. And God wants to change that. And if, here's the thing. Now listen, just like Mount Hermon to the people of Israel to this day... If the church does not preach the gospel, every person on the planet is dead. There's no other place. Do you really think they're going to find that on Oprah? Do you really think they're going to turn on something that's like, get your power out, and some guy's going to rant and rave for a second, tell you how to, to balance your books, and you're going to get saved because now you're not in debt? The only place where life comes from It's from the name of Jesus Christ. And this is supposed to be the place where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And I want to pray for this church and for your pastors that I honestly, I sincerely and absolutely love. That God would never change that. When I first met him, the first thing I heard was them rap something in America. (laughs) Revolver. And I heard the gospel, and I went, ooh, 
They didn't say, yo, Satan, step off, I'm going to smack a demon. <laughs> I heard enough of that. You know, I mean, you listen to like a half an album and that, and then you're like, so what's this album about again? Well, I heard Satan's name a whole lot. Well, Jesus was lifted. And they said, we want people to know Jesus Christ. That should never change. Just because you're getting a little comfortable, what that should mean now is you now have ground solid enough to shoot a slingshot from. To brace your catapult so you can launch. God intended this place to be Mount Hermon. I pray that it always will be. That a person can come in, a prostitute can come in here and find Jesus, find purity. Amen. That a rapist could come in here and find forgiveness. That a drug addict could come in here and find freedom. That every person could come in and when they hear whoever's in Christ is a new creation, they actually see people who believe it. You know, it's like, oh, no, I'm always going to be an alcoholic. But you're new in Jesus. You, maybe you're new in Jesus Christ. I'm sort of new. Like Jesus said, well, only half the cross applies to you. What? Excuse me? Look, at, I'm just saying that that's where it starts for every one of you. And I want to ask a question. Have you accepted that gift yourself? Can't, I better model what I'm asking for, right? If we're all defective, then the need's the same. The answer's the same. God took your sins and my sins. Let me ask, if we took everything anyone not only did wrong, but thought wrong, intended wrong, planned wrong, that, that amplifies, doesn't it? And we put that on one person, how would you treat that person? Would you beat them? Would you mock them? Would you make fun of them? Would you torture them? They would deserve it. Would you willingly choose to be the person that all that could be placed on? There's a problem. You, you're part of the problem. So am I. The only one equipped is the only one perfectly innocent so that they didn't deserve it themselves. And the only one equipped for that is Jesus. And willingly, willingly he chose it because he would rather die than live without you. It's that simple. Have you accepted that gift? If you haven't, in a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity to say yes. If you are not sure, you can be. You could walk out there saying, at least today you could either know you said yes or no to the gift of Jesus. I mean, if a guy's like, well, maybe we should probably get married someday. And then, you know, I, give, I get that around here, right? Oh, I don't know. Are we engaged? Are we a boyfriend? Are you, what, are you like boyfriend and girlfriend? I'm not really sure. You've been living together for three years. Mm-hmm, yeah. You guys are intimate? Oh, we're intimate. But like, you're like boyfriend. We're not, you're not even, what? Like the guys are like going to buy the cow he's getting in the milk for free. How does that work? Look it. You can, but if the man dropped his knees with the ring in his hand and said, look it, this is what it's about, then at least you know from that point on whether you said yes or no. Well, let me just say, I'm here to represent the greatest groom of eternity. He's the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe. And with that, he's bowed his knee and he said, he wants you. So don't blame him. He made the offer. Someone says, how can an intelligent, how could a good God send someone to hell? And I would say, how could a reasonable person say no to that? You sound smart. How could you say no? That's your Malchamon. And in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to say yes. But second, like Asaph, there's a place where you get a perspective change. You know, I can take my fist and I could hold it up like this and I could block out the side of the sun. That does not mean my fist will ever be bigger than the sun. It's just a whole lot closer. Sun's really, really big. You're probably aware of that. We have no real concept how big the sun is. 
Because the earth is so big, we can't compare, we can't think something. I mean, honestly, when, when was the last time you thought, well, something's bigger than this earth lately, and it's a lot bigger than this earth. I mean, unless you're kind of weird, chances are, well, you're an astrologer or something. Astronomer, shouldn't be an astrologer. And you get the idea. Here's the, here's the thing, is that there are times where you can take the world and you can hold it so close to you, it looks really big. And then you're looking and going, God, where are you? It's like playing peekaboo with God. You're like, God, where are you? I can't see you right now. God's like, you're just so busy hugging your sin or your problems, you can't even throw it down at my feet to see how big I am. Do you know why it says magnify the Lord? How do you magnify in- infinity? All you have to do is just throw down the things that are in front of you. And all of a sudden you realize, God, you are a lot bigger. Some of you sitting in this building, that was what you said. God, you're a lot bigger than I thought you were. I mean, intellectually, I'm going to tell someone else, God's almighty, but in my heart, man, I'm not too sure about This is big. And let me just say the one way that you're going to get a perspective change more than any other is this gorgeous, beautiful book that is active and alive, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's a discerner in the intent of the thoughts of man's heart. The beautiful thing is I don't even have to teach this book. The Holy Spirit's job is to do that. I just have to open it up and let him do stuff. Look at what's happening. You know, if you're going to be a warrior, you might want to get to know your weapon. And there are people out there that's like they spend their whole life trying to live in the mash unit, but they haven't been hurt because they've never been out on the battlefield. But they're like, it's so scary out there. I'm like, well, grab your weapon, fool, and do something with it. <laughs> no, I don't know which end of this goes into someone, the pointy one. Get a point out of it. And God has intended to this, and he tells us this about his church. It is the pillar and the foundation of truth. This is a place where people become more than just saved. They become students. Now, a student, in the simplest sense, biblically, the word is disciple. But that's all it means. We go from sinner to saved, and from saved to student. And you know what I learn? God is big. I'm not And he doesn't need me, but he wants me. And praise God, because if he needed me, I'd be in trouble. He'd be in trouble. (laughs) Beloved, by the time he's done, he says, man, I was a fool. I challenge you to read the rest of Psalm 73. He says, I was a fool. I was like a beast before you, God. What was I thinking? You get to the point, all of a sudden you come to. Hey, you know, here in London, it gets overcast. Yeah, that's probably not a surprise for you. But if you've ever gotten onto a plane, sooner or later you get above that overcast. Because if it's overcast long enough, you forget that the sky is actually blue. You forget actually how big it is. Because overcast tends to make things feel smaller. It's almost like you're inside and the outside. Then you get in that plane and you get above that. And all of a sudden the horizon is endless and you see forever. That's what church is supposed to be. People come in here, and they're undercast. Man, they're in that place where the world just seems like it's on top of them, and they can't see anything, and God just wants to take you by his word and pick you up and show you, and now now look, now look. And you're like, ooh, this is nice. Now look it. That's not the pastor's job. That's the saint's job. Coming in, saying, all right, God, be my guest. Pray for them that God would use them the way he wants but it'll even say that when the word was preached, it wasn't, didn't benefit the hearer because they didn't mix it with faith. There's a part that you've got to do in that. 
And the preacher can preach till he's blue in the face, and you can say, wow, that was a real blue sermon. But in the end of it all, you could walk out, and the only thing you could talk about is how blue he turned. Something's wrong. They're telling you about a sin that you're dealing with, and you don't want to listen to it. And in the end of all, you're walking around going, I think his shoe was untied. And God's like, what? Hello? He's the last of them. Oh, it's like Aaron. But it's not just like Aaron. It's like his oil. It's poured on his head. Drips from his beard. Drips off the hem of his garment. And everyone looks around and says, that one, that's the one. Look, at it is the place where you are supposed to discover your calling. And you know why? Because it's a pretty good possibility you're going to exercise it among each other. And there should be no greater group of people to try it on than each other because there should be no one more forgiving. We're required to forgive each other. I'm like, well, I don't know. I think I might have a word from the Lord. From, you know, Well, good. The Bible says test all prophecies. Risk it. Can I pray for you? I mean, you really think you're going to fail if you lay hands on someone and God didn't heal them like you thought he might? You'd be more of a failure by not doing what you thought God told you to. Amen. Look at, please hear me. God equates success with obedience. Amen. The results are his. Amen. If you want to sit and say, look at, I don't want to do anything because then I won't do anything wrong. God says, you just did everything wrong. Sinner. Saved. That's the gospel. That's our Malchermon. Student. That's Asaph's account in Psalm 73. Servant. That's what we become. Because if I'm a student of Jesus, I'm going to learn what he's like, and he's a servant. Could you imagine what would happen if this church just became a group of servants? Can I share with you, and I'm just about to wrap it up, which you probably know means little because I'm a pastor, but um, <laughs> hey, like chapter, beginning at chapter three, of, uh, we're halfway through Philippians, and Paul says, finally, it gives you an idea. Anyways, um, there is something I'm really, really struggling with, sincerely. You know, in Acts chapter one, Jesus said, wait for the promise of the power of God, the promise of the Father. Because stop thinking about the kingdom for a minute. Not, not like I don't want you to be kingdom minded, but stop thinking about what place you're going to have in it. Whether you're going to be vice lord when the Lord comes or whatever the case. Stop thinking about that. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me. Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? That's what he tells us. Here's the problem I have. If I were in Acts 1 and Jesus told me that, and I had an understanding like I have any understanding today of the Old Testament, this is what I know. The Holy Spirit came upon one person and the whole world changed. Holy Spirit came upon a Moses and he led a group of people out. The Holy Spirit came upon a Gideon and he delivered them from the hand of the Midianites. And the Holy Spirit came upon Joshua and he led the people into the promised land. Undefeatable. The Holy Spirit came upon David and he led the people into this place of great glory. And if that's what I understood about the Holy Spirit coming upon someone, empowering them for the calling God's placed on their life, I would wonder what it was like if the Holy Spirit came upon two people. Whoa. Two Elijahs? That would be crazy. 
what, would, what if the Holy Spirit came about too? And you've got one guy over here and he's raising the dead and healing the sick. And you've got another person over here and he's feeding thousands. And, and I look at that and I think, wow, that would be so crazy too. The whole world was changed when the Holy Spirit came upon one person. And then the Lord looks at a group, to be honest, about your size. And he says, all of you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would go, whoa, what's going to happen to the world now? If Jesus just said the Holy Spirit's going to come on five of you, I would want to be one of the five, but I would go, whoa, man, put on your belt because it's going to get crazy. The whole world's going to stand up and take notice. Things are going to shut down. All of a sudden, it's like the porn industry goes broke. All of a sudden, it's like all those Jack Daniels ads are filled with scriptures instead. People are like, bar, what's a bar? What's a tavern? That's just a place where we actually go and have food and celebrate the Lord after church. Camden Road would be full of people. Camden High Street would just be full of people that were just out there singing praises to God. What that would be like. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we go, what happened? Where's the difference? Could it be because, to be honest, what we're all we really want is to fill our tank for a bit so we could just make it back home? And do we really want the world changed? This building's supposed to be a place where a bunch of sparks get together and an uncontrollable fire. If you know anything about fires, they get big enough, they have their own weather patterns. You're a spark, there's a spark, there's a spark. We put it all together, then it goes, Whoo! Satan's like, I don't know how to blow this out. God says, I know. <laughs> and if you've ever done and been in those situations, you try to blow the fire, a little spark goes over here, and another fire breaks out, and another fire comes over here and breaks out. That's what this is supposed to be, beloved. But to be honest, if we're not going to be students of the Lord to say, Lord, make me like you, well, then why would he empower us like him? Does that make sense? But what if he did? Here's the crazy part. Did God ever put an expiration date on a promise like that? Did he say, until maybe I just get tired of, of waiting? Paul knew it was unlimited patience according to 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. What if today? What if today? How would that be the way to kick off the inauguration of this building if God's Holy Spirit came upon servants who were praying? Not just consumers who were waiting, but people that said, God, if you're going to use me to change the world, that's probably going to be expensive. That's probably going to be inconvenient. That's probably going to be crazy. Let's do it. Or, God, can you just do anything that doesn't really ruffle any feathers? God's like, I want to take you under my ring. Even to take you under my wing would ruffle my feathers. And someone's going to say, don't go overboard, right? I want to walk on water, but I don't want to go overboard. How does that work? Look, it, I want to do something here. As a first act... I'd like to call the pastors up, if I could do that. 
And I want to put each one of them here in a place. If, this is, and if, if I've hijacked this, you guys, I'm, I can apologize later. But I'm going to ask for all y'all to come in. I want you to lay hands on these men. And I want you to pray for them. Come on up, guys. Because these men are supposed to be leading you guys into battle. And you know what? Obviously, you can see why God doesn't want you shooting each other. That's not a real good army. The enemy's like, no, they're no threat. They're killing each other. But this is a family here, right? And when I first came here, that's what I noticed. This was a family. Families are messed up. Glory to God. Which means there's room for more. Someone says, I don't want to go to church. There's too many hypocrites. You'd say, there's room for one more. You could come too. Okay. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you guys to surround these people, and I just want you to pray. And I'm just asking you to pray simply this. God, make these men, men of the gospel, like Mount Hermon. Make these men, men of the word, like how Asaph changed. Make these men, men of the calling, like Aaron. And in that, use this place to make more men like that. Does that sound fair? But there's one last thing before we do that. And I mean last this time. I said I'd give you a choice. A choice to say yes to this Jesus. Now look it. Whether you're sure or not, you can be. And I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me. Because what I'm going to ask you to do is listen. I don't want you to listen to everything I'm about to pray. Because I want you to know what you're saying yes to. And whether you said yes to Jesus a million times and you just want to say it one more time to say, yes, Jesus, I'll have you all over again. I've learned this about being married. It's like every day I wake up and say, I'm married. I, you know, I, I said, I do agree to say I do from this point on. Does that make sense? Because some people said I do years ago and they have said I don't ever sense. And that's why they're in counseling. But I want to say I do every day. So maybe today you just want to amen it because you do know Jesus and you want to say yes. Maybe you're not sure and you want to say amen because you know you need to. But listen to the prayer. At the end of it all, what I ask you to do is not go, eh. whether that's amen or amen, it's still the same thing. What you're saying is, I agree, so be it. Let those words be my words. And what you're saying then is, okay, that prayer, let that be my prayer. Does that make sense? So here we go. I'm going to pray. I ask you to listen. And at the end of it all, I'm going to invite you to say amen. Here we go. God in heaven, I confess to you, I'm defective. I'm not perfect. I recognize I've sinned. I've done wrong. But in doing wrong, that must be paid if you're a righteous judge. But you love me. And you want me. And you love me so much that you sent your only begotten son, the only one from your gene pool, who lived a perfect life, tempted in every way, yet without sin, and died because my sins need to die. My penalty needs to die. And I say yes to his payment on that cross. And you promised he would die, and he did. You promised he would be buried, and he was. 
And then you promised he would raise again, and he did. And because he rose again, you offer me new life. Life no longer under the bondage of my sin, no longer under the tyranny of the, of the penalty of my sin, no longer controlled by the legacy of the family I came from or the, or the place I came from. You now officially have the right to be the architect of my reinvention. Not just to remodel me, but to reinvent me as innocent, holy, pure, and yours. At the cross, Jesus, you became my Savior, and I say yes. At your resurrection, you became my Lord, and to that I say yes. Jesus, be my Lord. And in that have right over my life, I want to walk out of here sure that I know that I know that I am yours and you are mine. So I say yes. Please take this prayer seriously as I surrender myself to you. Father, I am yours. Adopt me as your own, as your son has paid for me. I belong to you in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you just to say resoundingly, Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, my, my dear and precious brothers and sisters. And now... Come and pray for your pastors.